You're listening to the One Hope Church Podcast. The following audio is from the weekly gatherings of One Hope Church in Orlando, Florida. We pray that you'll be encouraged and challenged as you listen. Let me introduce Tracy Dykes. Hi, Tracy. Hi, Justin. (laughs) Hi, everyone. So, Tracy, you've been here for a couple years. Uh, your partner, you've led a couple things. You're married to Julie, who's hey, Julie. Yes. And uh, so you preached here a little while ago. It's yeah, last summer. You. Yeah, good to have you back up Thank here. You. And so uh, I'm excited to hear what you have for us today. Me too. Uh, so uh, uh, <laughs> thanks for uh, preaching today. Can we all just welcome Tracy? Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you, Justin. And thanks. It's good to see everyone. It's really nice that you're all here. I'm happy to be here. You know, I was thinking one of the nice things about having church in the afternoon is on these Sundays where the clock changes. You know, we have a few more hours to realize that and hopefully not be late for church. So good job. Uh, Last time I preached last summer, I told you about my dad. So I thought, this time I'd like to introduce you to my mom. So I think there are a couple pictures. Um, yeah, there we go. So this first one, it's uh, her with a new bike on Christmas Day, probably circa 1965 or so. And then the other one's 20 years or so ago with her four sons, my brothers and me. Um, and I'm not just trying to give her equal time because I told you about my dad, but I wanted to introduce you to my mom because... She's very significant in many ways. She not only gave me physical life, but she is the one who introduced me to Jesus. Uh, when I was a young child, probably about five years old, uh, it was, it's my earliest memory. The scene is very clear in my mind of us in our living room while she told me about Jesus and his love for me. And with her guidance, I asked him into my heart and he became my savior. And, you know, there's a lot that um, I didn't know at that time, of course, a lot I didn't understand at that young age. But one thing was very clear to me from the beginning. Uh, I just knew that God was real and that he was with me. He gave me an assurance that he was with me, uh, that he loved me, that I was forgiven, and that he would never leave me. And that's been a theme throughout my life, God's faithfulness to me. And one of the ways he's shown that faithfulness was through the local church that I was a part of as a child growing up. So this church is very uh, significant to me. We had the, God provided a, a really strong a Bible, biblically sound gospel preaching uh, church with a thriving kids ministry and youth group. And so to this, I mean, daily, regularly, I, am, I thank God for the people of that church and that church and the role it played in my life. I think of senior pastors and youth pastors and Sunday school teachers and friends and parents' friends, older adults that set an example and spoke into my life. So I'm grateful for the people of that church. And uh, those, most of them I can still remember by name. And that church continued to uh, throughout our lives. You know, Pastor Justin mentioned that we're with crew. We're in full-time ministry. And um, the people of that church have been a part of of our uh, support base, not just financially, but caring for us and 
praying for us and looking over us when we're back in town. This is in Southern California. And so um, they built into my life. And so when, by the time I went away to college as a young adult, uh, I had a, two things I wanted to do, two goals. One was to find a good church to be a part of because uh, that was important. And the other was to find a group of Christians on campus uh, that I could get plugged into. That's what eventually led me to, to crew. Uh, because I wanted to do this because I realized, because of my experience, um, that the church, not the building, not uh, the denomination, but the people of God, the body of Christ, the, the community, the fellowship of believers, the church was God's plan and provision for me to grow strong, spiritually strong. And not just for me, but I, I realized that it wasn't just for my sake, but my involvement in the church uh, in the community of faith was part of blessing others and others growing strong and building that unity. And so um, we've been looking the past few weeks, looking at the church, uh, specifically looking at the book of Acts and the beginning of the church and what that means for us today. So I'm going to pray and then uh, we're going to dive into that and see what God has to, to say to us today. So let me pray for us. Gracious Father, we thank you for your grace to call us into your family. We call, thank you that you have called us together as a family, and we're grateful for your church. And we pray that as we look at your word and look a little bit more about the beginnings of, uh, of the, the, the church in the first century, that you would open our eyes to truth, to see what you want us to see, and, uh, to, and to take away what you would have us take away from that encouragement and uh, uh, knowledge and um, to act on that in the way that your spirit leads. So we thank you for this time. We commit it to you and we pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So just a brief review of this sermon series that we've been looking at. It's uh, Live Expectantly. We've been looking at the book of Acts. It's Live Expectantly, the story of the church then and now, and the first week, Pastor Justin looked at the birth of the church and specifically highlighted that it's all about Jesus, right? It's always been all about Jesus. And we see Jesus before he ascended into heaven, that he promises to send his spirit with, visibly and with power upon his church. And that's what we looked at the following week. Pastor uh, Justin looked at the power of the church, which is the Holy Spirit, and led to uh, bold preaching and, and mighty works, preaching backed up by mighty works as the church was um, beginning to grow and get off the ground. And then the, the following week, uh, we followed up with the message of the church, which is the gospel. And he looked at Peter's sermon in Acts, the first sermon there, and that the gospel is our, the, a message that needs to be proclaimed and needs to be believed. And then last week, John Baxter talked about the, uh, the essential task of the church, which, to summarize very briefly, put simply, is to fil facilitate these committed relationships which provide an environment for transformation, for making us more like Christ. So as you look at the, the book of Acts, in just a few short chapters, and we haven't even looked at all of them, you know, those first few, maybe we looked at a couple, but those first few chapters, we see... Um, the, those first Christians, the first disciples, the apostles and others acting in the fullness of the Spirit, boldly proclaiming the gospel, 
uh, backed up by mighty works and wonders. And we see people responding. Thousands and thousands are coming to faith. And the church is growing rapidly as people are coming to Christ and being baptized. And every once in a while, you'll see Luke, uh, the author of Acts, give a little summary report. Um, and the, the church was growing and they were all of one mind and they were caring for one another. And they were, uh, the, the numbers, there were thousands being added to their number and those kinds of things. So we see this growth. And then we get to chapter 6. And I've read chapter 6 a lot, but the more I thought about it in this context, the more it struck me as, uh, not odd, but just interesting. Because it, the first seven verses of chapter 6 almost seem, in light of everything else that's, that's gone on, all the, the, the power and the, the works and the words and the preaching and all that, chapter 6 almost seems uh, out of place, almost mundane, we got this problem, there's two groups that are having this issue, and they come to the apostles to try and get it straightened out. And, but this is not out of place. Uh, this is uh, crucial. It's not like Luke didn't have any more stories, exciting stories. You know, it's not like he's running out of material for his newsletter or something, so he's kind of scraping to go, okay, I'll fill this one, uh, fill it in with this one. Um, this is very purposefully placed here, obviously, by Luke, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, because this is a crucial time for the church, a young church that's growing. We're seeing not only the beginning of the church, but we're seeing the beginning of opposition. And we've seen some of that already in those first few chapters. We see opposition from those outside the faith that are opposed to this movement. But we're not only seeing opposition from those outside the faith. Now we're starting to see threats from within the community. And so some of these are dealt with. So, for example, a passage that we're not really going to look at in depth is one that's probably well known to you. The first 12 verses of chapter 5, the story of Ananias and Sapphira, who, um, who tried to deceive take advantage of the community, deceive the church, and in doing that, they try to deceive God himself. Uh, it's, it's noteworthy that this passage on Ananias and Sapphira's deception and the judgment, it, it's framed on each end by references to the Holy Spirit's working in power. And the Holy Spirit's working in power uh, manifested in the fellowship of the community. That's significant because what Ananias and Sapphira were doing is trying to seek glory for themselves, take advantage of, of the church, and really make a mockery of, of God and the Holy Spirit. And what that would do is threaten the very unity of, of the church and this, this new community. And so for you know, all the questions we may have about this passage, one thing we can say that's, that's worth pointing out, one reason it's here is that God takes his church very seriously. He cares about its integrity. He cares about its unity. And so this is a crucial message at this stage in the life of the young church. And, and so then we come to chapter 6. And chapter 6 isn't quite so harsh. You know, it's not such a ser serious issue, but it is a problem, this conflict between different members of the church. And what it does is introduces us to the reality that 
there are going to be some growing pains. And I, what's most significant is that we see that growth isn't just the result of the big and the showy and the miraculous, uh, but it's the small everyday, seemingly mundane and sometimes difficult events and relationships uh, where growth also happens. And God's spirit is just as present in those things in the everyday. And we need to see that. We need to understand that. So we're going to read chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. I think there's a slide with the passage, but you can look it up. 1 through 7, chapter 6. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So, first thing we see is there's this, this complaint. So, the number of disciples is growing. Disciples here is not just the 12 apostles. We see uh, the disciples are all the followers of Christ, the whole gathering. We see the apostles specified as the 12 in verse 2. So, they're in the, the community, the Christian community, is increasing in number. And because of this dramatic growth uh, that led to this problem, some people in need weren't getting their needs met. They were being left out. So it references this distribution. <clears throat> there was a, an, organized, uh, a, an organized distribution to, to make sure that the needs of the people were, that had need, like widows, for example, were cared for. Uh, we see it first at the end of chapter 4 where it says people were bringing their goods or selling property and bringing the money and kind of pooling their resources so that those that had need could, um, could be given it and be taken care of. So there's this organized distribution, but there are these two groups, the Hellenists and the Hebrews, and the Hellenists will, weren't getting their needs met. So who are these guys, Hellenists and Hebrews? Not political parties, not rival soccer teams, they're... Basically, the Hellenists and Hebrews were both Jewish Christians. So they were Jews that had come to faith in Christ and were now part of the church. But the Hellenists were Jews from outside Palestine, outside Israel, surrounding nations. Who They were probably there for the, uh, the Passover. Um, but they, they, were, they lived outside of Palestine, so they were primarily Greek-speaking and influenced more by Greek culture where the Hebrews were those within Palestine, primarily Aramaic-speaking, and more influenced by uh, that culture. And so, at the very least, 
we can say that there was probably some communication issue, language barrier that was contributing to this issue. But very likely more than that was going on. I mean, think about it. You know, when we come to Christ, uh, we are changed. God's spirit is in us. He's working in us to make us more like Jesus. But we're not there yet, right? It's, we're works in progress. We still struggle with our old ways. And those things get brought and carried into the church as well. And so just think with so many people quickly coming together uh, in this new community, different ways of life, different backgrounds, different language, it led to some tensions. Uh, you know, one of the things that came to mind as I was thinking about this was the merger. Uh, the merger that we're looking into with Grace Journey. <clears throat> and I, I don't know if it's going to happen. I don't know what's going on, but I, we have good people, a good team looking at that. We're, we're praying for that. But let's just say for the sake of argument that it happens, that we come together with Grace Journey Church and form one new church. So suddenly, overnight, our fellowship, our church doubles in size, more or less. And we're now worshiping with a big group of people that we don't really know, who are used to doing things a certain way. And it's the same for them. Here we come into you know, their building and, and, and with our expectations. And now I'm not, I'm not being negative. I'm not saying I'm anticipating problems. I, you know, we, are, we all love Jesus. We're all part of one church of God's unified body. So I'm not anticipating any problems. I'm rooting for the merger, frankly. But I'm just saying, it's not a stretch to think, yeah, there could be some growing pains. There might be some difficulties or some adjustments. So these Hellenist widows, they're being neglected, probably not intentionally, but it's a problem. A complaint is brought to the 12 apostles. They gather, it says, the full number of disciples. In other words, they bring everyone together and they propose a solution. Uh, they say it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, this is not callous on their part. Uh, they're not being arrogant, like, oh, you know, we're waiting tables. We're above that. We're not going to stoop to waiting tables. They cared about these widows. That's why they brought everyone together and are proposing a solution. But the need was too great to be met by them, and certainly not without compromising the preaching of the word. So, uh, because the, the apostles understood very well that their God-given calling was to preach the word, prayer and preaching of the word. And if they were taken away from that, it would compromise the mission of the church. It could compromise the mission of the church in at least a couple ways. First of all, obviously, uh, the preaching the gospel and teaching the word would be compromised, and that's a necessity. The preaching the gospel and preaching, teaching the word is a necessity in the church. Um, we, we do good works, and coming to Christ changes us and should lead to good works, but good works are not the gospel. And good works, doing them or seeing them, uh, are, are not enough to uh, bring someone to Christ. And so, you know, I think of Romans ten fourteen. It says, how then will they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without 
someone preaching. So we can't compromise the preaching of the word, but a second way that the mission of the church could be compromised um, without choosing others to help take care of this problem is that the mission of the church is something that everyone needs to be involved in. Uh, so by having others step up and uh, assume some responsibility, they're sharing in the responsibility, and this strengthens the unity of the church. Uh, so the church, the, the, the gathering, the people were to choose the seven men. The apostles made the suggestion, but they said, you guys need to choose the, the people. And they only specified three qualifications that they had a good reputation, uh, they were full of the Holy Spirit, and they were full of wisdom. Now, did you catch those qualifications? So they're choosing people to take care of the needy, serve tables, distribute food. They didn't say, hey, choose someone that's got great organizational skills and uh, has, um, you know, can manage the logistics and, and not miss any details. Or choose someone that's empathetic uh, because empath empathetic people will make, really make sure that they're taken care of. Those are great qualities, but you know, he didn't say, hey, make sure somebody who has a ranger and empathy on their StrengthsFinder top five will pick those people. These are spiritual qualifications, spiritual qualifications to handle the distribution and care for the needy because serving the people of God is not a menial task. It's no less spiritual than preaching the word. Uh, this is the Lord's church. It's his body. So we represent him when, and as his spirit works through us. And we honor him in the way that we work together and the way we serve others and the way we care for people. So we honor him the way we walk in unity. Ephesians 4 says that he gave church leaders, apostles and pastors and teachers to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Who are the saints? You and me, all believers, we're the saints. And we share in the work of ministry. Why? For the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain maturity. So the apostles were assured that those in need aren't going to be forgotten. So they could now devote themselves wholly to the prayer and preaching of the word. And they took action. The people took action. So it says what, uh, they liked the idea. They liked the apostles' proposal, so they chose seven men. And uh, it's, you know, the apostles didn't make the decision. They made the suggestion. They let the church decide together, and they did. And so they, they chose seven. They presented them to the apostles, and the apostles prayed for them and laid hands on them. In other words, they appointed them, officially appointing them, to this task and conferring authority upon them. And it's clear that these seven men did not see themselves as limited to this one task of caring for the poor and distributing the food. Uh, it's clear from chapters, we'll, point, uh, we'll touch on in a second, but um, they were ready to, to, in the power of the Spirit, to fulfill any role that the Spirit, the Spirit had for them. They were ready to be used in any way and any opportunity he brought their way. And we see that um, Stephen and Philip are the first two mentioned. And they're mentioned uh, likely because they figure prominently in 
chap the following chapters because of their bold evangelistic activity. So this passage really serves a, a dual purpose in, in, in introducing us, uh, introducing them, introducing these guys, Stephen and Philip, and setting the stage for what's to come. Uh, so Stephen and Philip, they figure prominently in the following chapters, and uh, Stephen's story actually follows immediately. So in verse 8 uh, on, we start reading about Stephen, who is confronted by several groups of people who take issue with his, his powerful works and his, his preaching. And there's a sharp disagreement. Stephen gives a powerful sermon. And because of his witness, he becomes the first martyr of the Christian church. You can read that in the rest of chapter 6 and 7. And if, we were, uh, if you were hearing this sermon in Greek, uh, you would notice a little pun or even some redundancy there because witness is the word martyr. And the word for witness in Greek is, is the word martyr. It's where we get our word for martyr from. Because in those days, to witness to the resurrected Christ was uh, to do so in peril of your life. You were taking your life in your hands, and many of them, most of them, lost their lives for witnessing for Christ. And so this word martyr came to mean one who witnesses to the point of death. And that's pretty convicting to me. I think about opportunities I've had throughout my life, and you know, the worst thing I've had to worry about is, is what people are going to think of me, maybe being rejected, somebody not liking me, which is, you know, when you think about it, very petty. I've never had to witness under threat of losing my life. So this story here of choosing men to care for the needy, it becomes so much more uh, than, um, so much more than that. It's a significant turning point in the life and growth of the church. It introduces us to Stephen and Philip, the evangelists. And, uh, and with Stephen's death, the church enters into this period of persecution. But rather than slow them down, uh, what it does, it becomes a fulfillment of Christ's words in Acts 1.8. Because it pushes them out of Jerusalem and their witness begins to go to Judea and Samaria and to the remote parts of the world. <clears throat> and so with that, Luke gives us another little summary report. Uh, we see the results are threefold. Uh, the word of God, uh, it continues to increase. The number of disciples multiplies greatly. And in an interesting note, it says many priests became obedient. So, uh, by bringing the church together, solving this problem, the apostles were able to continue their ministry of the word, preaching the word. So the word of God was increasing. And a result of that was that more and more people were hearing and responding to that. So the number of disciples was growing. And then a number of priests were becoming obedient to the faith. I love that. No, that's not a comment you see much here. Just here. Why is that significant? Because where was all their, where was their primary opposition coming from? From the Jewish religious leaders. And so here we see that, uh, and there were probably thousands of priests 
throughout Israel at different levels. And so while they're getting flack from the higher ups, there were a lot of priests that were responding to the faith. They were getting the message, seeing Christ as the Messiah and responding to that. I, this made me think of a time in Bulgaria. We were on the mission field for many years in the country of Bulgaria. And Bulgaria is, a, 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 the state church is the Bulgarian Orthodox Church. Um, so they fought, this is Eastern Orthodox branch of Christianity. And early on, uh, when the communism first fell, there was a lot of openness. But then a lot of other groups besides Christian missionaries started coming in. Cults and corruption and, and other things. So the Orthodox Church <clears throat> started cracking down and just branding anyone that wasn't Orthodox, <clears throat> excuse me, as dangerous. And people listen to the Orthodox Church because they have a lot of respect for them, even if they don't know the gospel and uh, understand <clears throat> what Christ is all about. They listen and respect the Orthodox Church. So there was a lot of opposition. I remember one uh, paper, one article that was published with the top 10 most dangerous cults in Bulgaria, and the Baptists were number one. <clears throat> that was fun. So, uh, but, um, and, and we, you know, we'd have some of our, our volunteers, like Jesus film workers, that would go into rural areas. And I remember one couple that was physically assaulted because the local Orthodox priests riled up a mob and set them on them. So that was kind of our normal experience. But there was this really cool story. We had a ministry up in Varna. It's uh, one of the bigger countries on the Black Sea coast. We had a student ministry up there. And a local Orthodox priest came to one of our events. And this guy loved Jesus, and he got what we were doing. He, he was a true follower of Christ and believed the gospel. And he started working with us, and we started working with him in this cool partnership to, uh, to come together to advance the gospel there in that little corner of Bulgaria. So you just, uh, don't, you know, God is working among those, even those you wouldn't, you might not think, and bringing uh, these uh, formerly hostile groups together. So, so, so what, right? Uh, that's the question you should always ask when you read the Bible, when you study the Bible. So what? Not in a negative rhetorical way, but, but literally ask yourself, so what does this mean for me? Why, why is this important? So here are a few takeaways that, that I have. One, God's spirit is at work in the ordinary as well as the extraordinary. So don't miss what he's doing, him. Look, uh, doing there. Look for him in the everyday moments and relationships and trials. We walk by faith, not by sight. Second, God values unity among his people. Uh, that's an understatement. It's one of the things that God is closest to God's heart, and we see him guarding this. God exists in unity, right? He's one God and Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we as his church... Reflect this. Uh, it's not uniformity. We're not all the same. We don't all look, uh, look alike uh, or act alike, have the same gifts and personalities, but we are united in our, uh, our love for one Lord. We are one body in one spirit with one hope. And so we, we honor him in this by maintaining the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. 
as Ephesians 4 says. Third, the church is marked by prayer and preaching of the word. <clears throat> uh, prayer is an act of, of obedience, and it's an expression of our faith and our dependence on God. And so we've been, you've been hearing more, we've been giving emphasis to this in the church with a prayer class and just trying to be people in a church that grow in prayer. And then, of course, the gospel, as I said, is a message that needs to be proclaimed and needs to be believed. And God responds to both of these. Fourth, uh, the church is to care for both physical and spiritual welfare of others. Um, we see the early church that stressed prayer and proclamation of the word, but they didn't do this at the exclusion of, of needs, of meeting, helping the poor or, or correcting injustices. Fifth, you, yes, you are a valuable part of building the body of Christ. Uh, we see in, in this story and several other places in Scripture the value of all gifts um, and the value of all acts of service in the church. And you're a part of that. And then finally, uh, something we can pull out of this is that the fullness of the Spirit is for all of us. <clears throat> uh, these first Christians, they acted in full of the Spirit. Uh, we see that over and over. Full of the Spirit, they preached boldly, or they did these mighty works, or they, um, uh, you, you know, you know so over and over we see that phrase. But we have the very same Spirit dwelling in us. And did you know God actually commands us to be filled with the Spirit. Now that tells me that if, if, if He commands me to be filled with the Spirit, that tells me that I have some part in that. There's something that I can do to fulfill that command. Well, what is that? Well, the Bible puts it in a lot of different ways. It's, uh, it's walking by the Spirit. It's abiding in Christ. It's letting the Word of Christ richly dwell in you. It's praying continually. It's confessing your sin. So it doesn't mean perfection. We're not, we're not perfect on this side of heaven. And that's why we need to walk by the Spirit. That's why we need to abide in Christ and be filled with the Spirit. It's a continual walk, a continual process of reorienting ourselves to Him, giving over control to the Holy Spirit. So with that, let me just wrap up with uh, some couple questions for you to reflect on and then one uh, specific application. First of all, do you struggle with seeing God uh, in the ordinary, everyday things of your life? Do you struggle with seeing him move there? Um, how might God be working in your life in some of the more difficult areas uh, in less obvious ways? And then thinking about that, how can you cultivate a growing faith to see him in those areas? Another thing, how are we as a church, how is One Hope doing in maintaining the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace? What's one way you can move toward that, uh, toward this community, towards unity at One Hope? Maybe it's taking a step of faith to connect more deeply with others. Maybe it's getting involved in a community group or just reaching out to someone. 
Maybe it's seeking ways to serve, finding out uh, what places there are that have need. Uh, maybe it's beginning the partnership process, exploring that. Uh, what does that look like? And maybe it's talking with someone more about it. And maybe it's saying yes to Jesus. Maybe you've never taken that step where you have chosen to follow Christ, given him your life, received him, and allowed him to forgive you and join uh, the fellowship of Christ. And if that's the case, I would urge you to explore that, to talk to someone about it. Me, Pastor Justin, one of the elders, a lot of people here would be happy to talk to you more about that. And then finally, just let me give you one specific piece of application. Um, I'd encourage you this week to read the book of Ephesians. Because um, you probably noticed there were several times uh, references to Ephesians popped up. Um, the book of Ephesians is all about the church. Uh, it's the, mo- the letter of Paul to the Ephesian church con- contains the most robust teaching on the church that we have. And several of these themes that we've been talking about are talked about in the book of Ephesians. And so you could, you could sit down and read Ephesians and the whole book in 20 minutes give or take, depending on how fast you read. Uh, or it's six chapters. You could, over the next week, you could take a chapter a day just in your devotional time, read it, pray through it, and see what God does with that. So even as we believe God for the miraculous, let's not miss what he's doing in the everyday things. And let's eagerly maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Let me pray for us. Father, we are so grateful to you for calling us into your family, for reaching down and initiating a relationship with us and calling us out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of your beloved son. And we're grateful that you have made us a family. You have joined us in community and it honors you when we serve together and work together and express that unity Um, that is a reflection of your own character. I ask that you would help us to take away, uh, each one of us, just impress upon us the things that we need to give attention to. We pray that you would continue to grow the unity of one hope and grow us as a church and as a body that honors you in all we do and reflects that unity. And we do continue to commit to you uh, this merger process and pray for your blessing and guidance in that. We thank you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the One Hope Church podcast. We encourage you to share what you've heard in conversation with family, friends, classmates, and coworkers. To connect with us or learn more, visit wehaveonehope.com. 